A few times in recent months, we've aired messages about the love of God, the immeasurable, inconceivable love that God would come to us in flesh and dwell among us. This time of year, we think of that love more and more, and it's amazing. You're listening to Christ is the Answer, and I'm your host this morning, Robin Monks. There is another part to discussing love, and that part isn't discussed as much. How do we show God's love to others? That's the topic of today's message by Pastor Randy Crozier, starting to read from Colossians 3 and 12. Holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievances against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, so over compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness, and over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, love that we've been talking about, love is an inevitable result of being born of God. You see, it's a spontaneous development in your heart once you make a connection with Jesus Christ. It's as simple as it is. Some of us are challenged with the whole issue of love. That's kind of where we were going this morning. But the real truth is that the challenge is, in a manner of speaking, a paper tiger. You know what a paper tiger is? A paper tiger has the look of being intimidating and threatening and imposing and maybe even unconquerable. But the real truth is you get close enough, and what can you do to a paper tiger? You just stick your finger through it. It's an illusion. It's not real. It isn't something to, to truly threaten us, but we're caught in the lie of it. And so sometimes we have these paper tiger issues in our lives, and maybe the enemy says to you, and, and, and this could really apply to anything, but we're talking about love, but you can apply it to whatever you want. The enemy says to you, you know what? You're never going to succeed in this area of your walk. You're never going to be triumphant in this aspect of serving Jesus Christ. You're always going to be a loser. That, my friend, is a paper tiger. That's a lie, straight from the pits of hell. And one of the things that's a paper tiger is this idea of love, because love is something that, as I said, when you meet Jesus Christ, it is introduced into your heart and into your life. I read to you three passages from John this morning on love, but there's actually a fourth one. Earlier on in, in the fourth chapter, before he ever gets to the passage that I read to you, John uh, talks about love. And if you go all, it actually starts in, in chapter 4 and goes from 7 to 12 and includes verse 16. Uh, but if you drop down to verse 16, this is what John said. He says, God is love. Wow. If you can wrap your mind around that, that's a huge statement. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Do you know what that means? It means if you just take that verse and you start reflecting on it and meditating on it a little bit, what it means is love lives in you. God lives in you. God is love. Therefore, love lives in you. Simple syllogism. Simple logic. God is love. God lives in you. Love lives in you. So this whole idea, well, can I love that much? Can I love that powerfully? Can I follow the Lord down this path of radical love? Sure you can. 
Because you're not, it, it isn't about reaching inside of yourself and drumming something up. Love lives in you. It's resident in there. It's part of being born of the Spirit. It's part of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Love lives in you. And Paul, he said it in a similar way. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The lo- can I love? You know, can I be as radical in my passion and compassion for others as the Scriptures describe, as Jesus said and as John after him says and others besides? Sure you can, because the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. It's just there waiting. Now sometimes, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you read them in the Bible about all these things, that the Holy Spirit is able to do. And then if you're like me, you reflect on your own life and you think to yourself, well, where's the fulfillment of all of this? And what it boils down to is, you know, the Holy Ghost is in you. Anything that challenges you, I guarantee you, it doesn't challenge Him. Spirit of the Lord isn't, uh, He hasn't got a problem with anger. Anger's not a mountain He can't scale. Depression, it's not a mountain that the Holy Spirit can't scale. Lust, it's not a mountain that the Holy Spirit can't scale. Bitterness, it's not a mountain the Holy Spirit can't scale. All of these things. The question is, really, how much liberty or freedom do we extend to the Holy Spirit inside of us? It's kind of like thinking of yourself like a jar, right? Now, if you're a jar, here I am, I'm 190 pounds. That's a lot of jar. And if I've only made about that much room inside of me, well, there's a lot of wall in my jar and not a whole lot of room for the Holy Spirit, but He's in there. Now, I may not afford it because the, the, how much space I allow Him in that jar is really up to me. It has to do with how yielded I am. Paul loved that word. In Romans chapter 6, he loved that word, yielded. It all depends on how yielded I am. And so here I am, and I've got this big old jar, and i got this little tiny space that I've afforded to the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit has everything. There's a thing about quantitatively, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you got the Spirit, you got the Spirit. Quantitatively is the issue. Uh, it's, it's how much confinement there is, how much freedom you allow Him, and how much you allow Him to express Himself. If you're big, big jar with thick, thick walls, the Holy Spirit burning brightly inside of you, but that light's not escaping. If you're a big, big jar with really thin walls, then that light just shines on through. So when it comes to love, because love, like all the other virtues, albeit it's the chief virtue, it's the virtue that binds all the other virtues together, according to Paul. The Holy Spirit, love is, a, is, is the fruit of the Spirit. So you got the Spirit in you. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. And so that love, we just got to let it shine. We, we just got to start. So love in us is a spontaneous reality stemming from our relationship to the Lord, stemming from His presence inside of us. And yet, now here's the, th- here's the thing. Love is a spontaneous reality inside of you. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart. Love lives in you because God lives in you. 
wonderful truths. And yet at the same time, there's kind of a conundrum that's presented in the Word of God. Because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, John says, Beloved, if God so loves us, we ought to love one another. We ought to. Why would he say we ought to? The implication of the statement is that the persons to whom he was writing then, and those of us who are reading it now, is that there is the possibility, and this goes to the whole yieldedness thing, that we're not cooperating. You see, love is in you. It lives in you. It is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Any challenges that you face in relation to expressing love and being loving in the world, you got everything on board that you need in order to face those challenges and scale that mountain. But at the same time, there is an implication in that verse that we have to cooperate. The yieldedness thing. We have to be interested in the development of love. We have to be interested in the development of everything about our lives, spiritually speaking, really. I think at some point in time or somewhere along the line that I shared with you uh, about the confusion that I faced when I was younger uh, over something that Paul wrote when he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That really troubled me because I had heard, it was on the strength of this truth that I gave my heart to Christ, I had heard that you need to put your faith in Jesus and he redeems you and that works cannot secure salvation. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. And I heard that over and over again, and I believed it. So I got to, and then I read Paul saying, work out your own salvation by fear and trembling. Oh, that really troubled me. I thought that was a conflict. And then, you know, over the years, God by his grace, you know, keeps... Isn't it wonderful how even in our struggles, the Lord gives us grace to survive them and endure. And, you know, in time, the answers come and we have better understanding. So as time went on, I began to understand something. I began to understand that salvation really appears in the Bible in three different contexts. And it's expressed in three different ways. There's salvation from the consequences of sin. And that's the salvation of the kind of salvation that we're most cognizant of, that we're most aware of. That, you know, we're saved from the condemnation uh, that came with being a sinner and, you know, we're blood-bought. And so, but there's also salvation mentioned in different contexts context in scripture that relates to the end of time. When uh, the Lord will come back, praise God, Jesus is going to return and he's going to liberate us out of this place and all of the restrictions and hindrances and battles that are wrapped up in being fallen creatures in a fallen world, all of that's going to come to an end and wow, that is the crowning moment of salvation. So we're saved from the consequences of sin. That's one way that the word salvation is used. And we're going to be saved when Jesus comes back and all of this is going to be over. But there's another way that salvation is used. And it's not salvation in terms of salvation from the consequences of sin or salvation from the world liberated into our eternal bliss. It's salvation from the nature, the sin nature. We're saved. If you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, you are among the redeemed. But that doesn't mean... That all your troubles with your flesh are over. That old flesh is a thorny problem. And there is a salvation 
that is progressive in nature, that it goes on all the time as we grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and we become more like Him, we become more yielded to the Holy Spirit, we become, and the word that we typically use, more and more sanctified, more and more like Jesus. That's salvation too. Albeit, it isn't an instantaneous one. It's an ongoing process. The word salvation is used. And that's how Paul uses it when he says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Now again, he's not saying that you sanctify yourself. What he's really saying is this. You need to take a keen interest in your own spiritual well-being. And that's an issue you know today. A lot of believers, what's happened to us is that we got a lot of interests. We're committed to this sort of thing and that sort of thing, and we're running all over the place, all tangled up and tied up in the affairs of this life, and our interests, our, ex, our, our extraneous interests, our alternative interests, our additional interests in life, we're just drowning in them. We're doing this, and we're doing that. And when Paul says this, you need to take, if you're a believer... You need to take a keen interest in your own sanctification, your own spiritual growth and development. Well, that's true of every aspect of being a believer. But it's also true of love. If we want to love like we ought to love, if we want to have that kind of uh, passion, then we need to invest something in it. Yeah, it's there. It's resonant in you. But you need to show some concern or some interest in seeing love becoming a more or become a more dominant characteristic or a more dominant feature in your heart and in your life. So love has to be developed. All of that is to get to that point. Love is something that has to be developed. It isn't developed in the, you know, you're, oh, I'll just, I'm going I'm to try and love. Work really hard at trying to love. It's about yieldedness, but it's about an interest in it, because if you have no interest in it, nothing is going to happen. So love is something that has to be developed, but in order for that to happen, we need to understand what love means. Really, what is it that's going to take place in our lives as love begins to develop? And I want to suggest to you several things this evening regarding what love really means and what has to happen if we have a passion to see it develop in our lives. Number one, love means accepting people where they are. Because we're talking about, in this particular context, loving your neighbor. That's where we're heading this evening. So if we're going to love our neighbor, one of the things that that means and that, that, has, that has to happen, love means accepting people where they are. If we're going to love people, we cannot require them to meet certain prerequisites before we start loving them. You can't even just stand on the sidelines and say, well, so-and-so reaches a certain point. When they cross this line and leave behind these things and get into these things, when they become this kind of person, well, then that's when I'm going to start loving them. Can you imagine where we would be if that's the attitude God took through Jesus? What does the Bible say? God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there's no higher expression of love than that. Jesus didn't wait until we got our act together. He didn't wait un until certain prerequisites were met before he started uh, loving on us. The thing is about waiting for people to kind of come up to snuff. Well, let me back up a little bit. Some people say, oh, well, I love them, but I just don't want to be involved with them. Again, who did Jesus hang out with? 
You know, the, the, the righteous crowd, the really religious folks, the people who were just firing all their holy cylinders, he didn't want anything to do with them. Who did he hang out with? He hung out with tax collectors, and he was around prostitutes, and he was around just the lowest of the low people that other folks said, well, you shouldn't even touch. Well, you so sometimes when we say to ourselves, well, I love them, but I really can't connect with them. If that's your perception of the way holiness should affect you, understand something. There's nothing about God and his nature that conflicts with other aspects of his nature. So the holiness of God is not at odds with the love of God. If your perception of holiness is that, you know what, until people get to a certain place, I can't have anything to do with them, then you just do not understand the fact that God's holiness and God's love coordinate with one another. And there are people out there, you need to connect with them. I'm not, you don't need to go to the bar with them or you don't need to engage with them in all, but you need to relate to them. You need to embrace them uh, emotionally. You need to get into their lives and you need to begin showering your love on the lepers of the world. I remember a, a guy who came to the school. I wish I could tell the story. I wish I remembered it well enough to tell the story accurately, but I, I remember him coming to the school and he was uh, the leader of a large ministry in India. And uh, they had a big church and it was growing all the time. And there was revival happening and people were in love with Jesus and great stuff was happening. And he was a great man. And then one day he's praying. He says, Lord, I, I just want you to do with me what you want. And, you know, and be careful what you say to God. And so one day, one Sunday, this is India, you know, right? So third world country, particularly then, this was 30 or more years ago, underdeveloped nation, a lot of the diseases and the distresses that, that we don't even know some of them, but they're there, they're alive and well. And there are lepers in India, lepers. The people with their noses are gone and their fingers are just stubs and their faces are wrapped up and they're all scabby and blistery. And so one day, um, a group of lepers showed up in their church, people didn't know what to do. These are lepers in our church. And the pastor, he doesn't know what to do. But God knew what to do. And immediately God spoke to his heart. And the Lord said, go down there, bring them up, set them on the front pew, hug them, kiss them, and wash their feet. <sighs> what do you mean? They're lepers, God. Hug them, kiss them and wash their feet. God asks us to do some, some pretty big things where love is concerned. He doesn't give us the freedom or the liberty to say, well, when these people reach a certain state, when they don't smell as bad as they do, when they're not drinking and half drunk or altogether drunk 80% of the time, when they don't swear anymore and they don't smoke anymore, and, well, then I'll relate to them. Hug, kiss, and Wash the leper's feet. That's what Jesus did. So what we need to understand when it comes to the idea of the development of love in our hearts and lives is that it means accepting people where they are. Jesus, he, like I said, he adulterers and tax collectors, and tax collectors were bad. You understand. Just because, if you're a tax man, that's, I understand then to be a tax collector was a pretty reprehensible thing. And Roman soldiers even, murderers, that's how the Jews saw them, Roman soldiers. And he related to them all. And you know what? I'm sure uh, that uh, the Lord aspired to delivering them from lifestyles and habits that were not honoring to God, but he started relating to them right away.
where he found them and how he found them. And if we are going to be people who love, it means accepting people where they are. It also means extending understanding, grace, and mercy by overlooking stuff. Extending understanding, grace, and mercy by overlooking stuff. Now, this really shouldn't be as hard for us as it sometimes turns out to be because every one of us has blemishes, faults, and failings. There's not a person here. doesn't matter how long you have been serving Jesus Christ. If that were not the case, then you would have been like Enoch. You know, you'd have been walking with God and then Enoch walked with God and was not. You'd be raptured out of here. The truth is every last one of us, we are afflicted with, with blemishes and flaws. And you know, the truth is there's rarely a day that goes by. I think that this is true of every one of us. And please don't be offended by this but I don't think there's a there's a I think it is a rare thing when a day passes for any one of us you know that we do not do something stupid inappropriate or foolish maybe the degree of the stupidity of it or the foolishness of it the inappropriateness of it varies but I'll bet you that there's rarely one of us who passes through a day that in a given day we don't do something that is stupid inappropriate or foolish I doubt that there's a day very often that passes when we do not say something that we shouldn't have said when we don't react in a sour way when we should have just bit our tongue so under the circumstances being as that's how we are it really shouldn't be that difficult for us to overlook the stuff that goes on in the lives of others jesus in matthew 7 1 and 5 says don't judge or you too will be judged for in the same way that you judge others you will be judged and with the same measure that you use it will be measured out to you so you know, we have to be pretty careful of that kind of thing. You know, um, I want to give you an example, right? Here are a couple of just pedestrian kind of illustrations. So you're at Walmart. I'll bet you this has happened to a lot of us. You're, you're at Walmart and, and uh, you go up to the cash and the person on the cash has the audacity to treat you gruff and impolite. Now, immediately you have a choice. At that moment, you can respond in kind or you can extend love. Now, there's no question what you should do, but the, you're a free will creature. You have a choice. You're treated in a way that you think is inappropriate. Maybe it really was inappropriate. And you have a choice. Are you going to respond in kind or are you going to extend love? You can indulge your carnal nature and its worst impulses at that moment. Or you can let Christ Jesus shine through you and treat that person the way he would treat that person. You have a choice. You can give as good as your God. They treated you nasty, you treat them nasty. You can follow the dictum, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You can dish it out just like they dished it out. You can allow your uh, offended pride and your sense of self-importance that was bruised guide you in doing what it tells you you have a right to do. They did you nasty, you do them nasty. You can say, well, who do you think you are? You can say, I am justified because the customer is always right. So you can look at that person and say, who do you think you are? I thought that you were supposed to serve me. That's your job. You want to keep your job? Or, on the other hand, you can turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus said, right? Turn the other cheek. You can go the second mile. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. You know what that means? In that particular context, it isn't about the kind of sin that we commit. What it means is that when you love, if there's love in your heart, when somebody does you wrong, love will cover it. Love will excuse the offense. So you have a choice. You can, hey, oh, what do you mean to do that? Just, you, 
or you can turn the other cheek, go the second mile, and you can let the love of God shed abroad in your heart cover that person's transgression against you. And instead, you can sympathetically say, are you having a bad day? And you know what Proverbs uh, says? I think it's Proverbs chapter uh, 15, is Proverbs 15, 1, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous or harsh words stir up anger. You have a choice when that happens. Loving means that we need to be prepared to extend understanding, grace, and mercy, and we begin to overlook any number of things. Love also means seeing potential in people rather than problems. See, love always thinks the best. Yeah, go to, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, powerful stuff, right? You all know what it is, right? The love chapter. Love always thinks the best. Our carnality, on the other hand, does not. We look at people and, oh, you wouldn't believe that person. I can tell you where they're going to end up. I know that kind of, oh, I met that, for, that type before. That's not love. And you might say, well, I, I, I know it. It's the truth. But it's not love. It's not the way that love works. You see, we're supposed to be radically different creatures on the earth. We're supposed to be people that are infused, imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. Love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Love lives in us because God lives in us. And we don't act like that. Love does not see things the same way as the lack of love does. You know, some people are really good at, at seeing potential problems. And if you're a manager, it's really a good quality because that means you anticipate needs and you prepare for contingencies. But uh, being perceptive when it comes to problems in the context of relationships is not always a good thing. Because it sets us uh, above others, we, maybe not intentionally, but we begin to elevate ourselves above them, and we begin to build walls between us and them, you know, and all these types of things. So love means instead of seeing the problems that people potentially are, we begin to see potential in them, unrealized potential, maybe potential nobody else has identified, maybe potential you can't even identify. But here's the thing. One thing that's true of every human being, you'll never meet a human being of whom this is not true. Everybody you pass on the street, everybody you meet on the job, everybody who calls you on the telephone, this is true of them. They are made in the image of God. And oh my goodness, what things can happen? You may not be able to put your finger on it. You may not be able to identify the specifics of their potential, but they're made in the image of God. And oh, if God gets hold of them, awesome stuff can begin to happen. And I'll tell you what, you're never going to help them by maximizing their flaws, you're only going to help them when you begin to communicate to them through the love of God shed abroad in your heart that you just, what God could do in you, what God could make of you, no matter how broken down, stinky, drunk, addicted, miserable, mean you are. So you, you have a choice. You can see them as broken, drunk, stinky, addicted, miserable people. Or you can see them as made in the image of God. And people, if the Lord gets hold of them, who can become marvelous, marvelous in his eyes. Love also means diligently rooting out unloving behavior from our lives. If we're going to let love develop in our lives, and all of the behaviors that are contrary to love, they have to be rooted out. Jonathan Edwards was, um, you may not know his name, but there's a very famous sermon. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And, and Jonathan Edwards 
uh, in Massachusetts, Northampton, Massachusetts, shortly after um, the founding of the, of, of the United States, was a revivalist preacher, one of the greatest revivalists in the history of the nation. Jonathan Edwards stood in the pulpit. That back in those days, enthusiasm was not was not approved of. It was frowned on. And what pastors would do is they would write their sermons out, pay, and they were long sermons. You think I preached for a long time? Yeah, they they preached for so long that they had two people in the back ushers. One guy had a long long pole with a pin on it and one guy had a long long pole with a feather on it and if you fell asleep or nodded off or if you were in any way misbehaving or inattentive uh, throughout the length of the service if you were a woman you got the feather if you were a man you got the pin there's their one concession. They preached a long time. And Jonathan Edwards, he would read from his sermon without any enthusiasm whatsoever. So this is the inflection of my voice right there. That was a no-no. Was, this week's chapel service, our schedule is Monday the 15th at 6.30 p.m. Men's fellowship group will take place on Tuesday, January the 16th at 6.30 p.m. The nursing home visitation uh, won't happen because that's the way they, he preached. But he preached this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and the anointing. This, this goes to show you what the Holy Ghost can do. The anointing of God fell on that man and the power of the Holy Spirit swept across that congregation and people thought the floor was open up and they were going to be sucked straight down to hell and men, women, and children started flocking to Jesus. And so Jonathan Edwards wrote this. He said, a Christian should at all times keep a strong guard against everything that tends to overthrow or corrupt or undermine the spirit of love. We need to be watchful. What is going on in my life that would corrupt or undermine the spirit of love? If love is the sum of Christianity, surely those things which overthrow love are exceeding unbecoming for Christians. An envious Christian, a malicious Christian, a cold and hard-hearted Christian is the greatest absurdity and contradiction. How can those things be? That's what he's saying. It is as if one should speak of dark brightness or a false truth. So he said, you got to watch for that stuff that compromises love. And so we need to root out anything in our lives that begins to compromise. So that's what love means. Those are the things that if we begin to allow love to grow in our life that we have to be ready to yield to. But what does love do? What can we expect when love begins to happen? A lot of stuff. When love starts to flow in our midst, oh my goodness. What kind of stuff begins to happen? Unbelievable stuff. Thanks for listening to today's message. I hope you learned something new about love. If you joined us late and want to listen to the entire message from the beginning, or just want to subscribe to our podcast and receive new episodes automatically every week, you can do that on our brand new website at cviewforgospel.com. Christ is the Answer is a production of the Seaview Full Gospel Church in beautiful Back Bay, New Brunswick. Until next week, remember, Christ is the Answer.